Join us now for Education Matters, a weekly look at the real people and real stories in education across North Carolina. Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm Keith Poston. Last week, the North Carolina Department of Public Instruction released its annual A to F school performance grades for the state's public schools that continue to reflect a clear relationship between poverty and student test scores. This week, we're going to discuss the latest school grades and the grading system itself. Why do the school grades correlate so strongly to poverty? And do they provide an accurate assessment of the job our schools are doing educating students? students? And if not, what needs to change? Before we tackle our main topics, we open with our headlines, a quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the U.S. Last week, Governor Cooper signed into law the Testing Reduction Act of 2019, which reduces the number of standardized tests given in schools. The biggest change is the elimination of the North Carolina final exams beginning next year. That's more than 20 state tests given to students who teachers can't use another state exam to evaluate their performance. The law also requires school districts to reduce the number of local tests they give. Education Week has released its annual Quality Counts report that ranks the states on K-12 education. Our state falls in the bottom half of the country at 37, primarily due to very low marks when it comes to the amount we spend per student. North Carolina ranks 48th nationally out of 49 states that are in the study. The report highlights a sizable gap between North Carolina and the top states in per-pupil spending. After you make regional adjustments, North Carolina spent about $9,000 per student compared to a national average of nearly $13,000. Finally, the latest school report cards highlighted some very disappointing results for the state's new innovative school district. Southside Ashpaw Elementary in Robinson County, the only school in the ISD, received an overall F score and did not meet growth, which is the same as last year when it was part of the local school district. The percentage of students passing state tests actually dropped year over year. Remember, you can visit the Public School Forum's website at ncforum.org, click on Education Matters, and read more about each of these headlines as well as all the other topics we cover each week. As I said at the top of the show, the state released its annual A to F school performance grades last week, and as they have since each year since they began being used in about 2013, the grades show a clear linkage to the poverty level of the schools. And we have two guests joining us now who are going to discuss this with us. To my left, we have Dr. Lauren Fox. Um, Lauren is the Senior Policy Director at the Public School Forum of North Carolina. Welcome back to the show. And we have Dr. Helen Sonny Ladd. Uh, many of you know uh, uh, Dr. Ladd is Sonny. She is a professor emeritus at Duke University's Sanford School of Public Policy. So let's start just for our, um, our viewers uh, who don't sort of live and breathe this stuff like we do. What exactly is the A to F school performance grade? Sort of where did it come from? How is it calculated? Mm -hmm. So the performance grades are an accountability model that were first introduced in Florida um, back when Governor Jeb Bush was there. And like you said, they came to North Carolina in 2013. And different states that use A to F performance grades have different ways of calculating them. So in North Carolina, 80% of a school's grade um, is made up by a measure of student uh, proficiency. And 20% of that is for growth over time in a school year. So what do you mean when you say proficiency? And I know. Uh, uh, Dr. Ladd, you looked at this too. I mean, what, what are we talking about here? Uh, is this that's just that's test scores at a certain time? Is that is that what really what proficiency is? Yes, it's just 
the percentage of students in the school that meet the state standards for the particular grade or grade uh, in the school. Right, and the growth. And I mean, the growth is change over time, so that is a measure more of student learning over the course of the school year. Right. So let's take a look at, we've got a couple of charts. You've done some analysis, uh, Lauren, mm -hmm. about uh, our current grades. I think the first chart we have up, it's, it's, this is the, the actual um, A to F themselves. So tell mm -hmm. me what we're looking at here. Right, so this chart, in this chart you can really see um, that what the grades are really measuring is which schools serve large percentages of students who are economically disadvantaged rather than actual student learning. Um, so for example, you can see that of the 21.7% of schools that received either a D or F in North Carolina in the previous school year, 2018 to 2019, 95% of those were serving high poverty populations. So we define that as 41% or more students. So that's that's poverty. the that's the big red bar over on the far right. The it's just basically showing bars, that like yeah. really if if and that's again everyone who's got an F score, 95%. 95%. Okay, and on the other side you've got the uh, uh, really your A schools. Your A schools, right? And so um, for example, you can't see this exactly in the chart, but of those who received um, an A grade. Only one school that served students, uh, more than 80% of students in poverty received an A. Well, that's a pretty stark, um, uh, that's a pretty stark difference. I mean, um, um, Dr. Ladd, you've looked at this in, in other, not the, just in the U.S. and North Carolina, but in other countries. Is that kind of the way it it's looks? standard, and we should have known that this was going to happen, and lots of people did know that this pattern would show up. It shows up, there, there are lots and lots of studies over many years and across many states and other countries that show there's a clear relationship between average student achievement in a school and the mix of students who are disadvantaged or often a minority group as well. Mm -hmm. right. And so the, and that's 80 percent of the growth. So let's talk a little bit about the, the 20 percent, the smaller part of it, is growth, which is, mm -hmm. again, where do they go from when they, the way I look at it, when they walked in the door to the end of the year, mm -hmm. what kind of job did the, you know, the school, the teachers do in getting there? Let's. I think we've got another chart to look at. Right. Um, is the correlation the same in terms of uh, in terms of poverty when it's, it comes to growth? It's not the same. There is still a disparity between high and lower poverty schools, but you can see, for example, in the chart um, that of the schools. Um, with high concentrations of students who are economically disadvantaged, 71% met or exceeded growth, compared with 79% of schools that are serving fewer students in poverty. So the gap is not nearly as large as in the first chart. Right, and I think now, um, I've read, both of you have written on this, um, and I'll ask this to you, Dr. Ladd. I mean, what are your concerns, I guess, just, let's just sort of top line, a, a system like this to, evaluate how a school is doing because that's the really the whole point um, is that these are school performance grades that, that theoretically you can look at this grade and say that's a good school that's a bad school no theoretically maybe some people look at these grades and come to that conclusion but it's the wrong conclusion school quality is a complicated measure lots of things go into the quality of the school one of the inputs to the school is the students who come to that school and students come with very different backgrounds and very different, um, they bring different things to the schoolhouse door. Advantaged students, middle class, uh, children of middle class families come to school ready to learn, having had lots of exposure to books and uh, good health and uh, travel and after school programs. They come to school 
often quite ready to learn. But think about children from uh, who are growing up in poverty, whose parent or parents don't have access to um, health care for the children, right. or who are living under stress and moving from household to household, they come to school much less ready to learn. So it's not the schools, or it's the, the fact these measures of proficiency say very little about the quality of the school programs and the success of well, the school. Well, let's, let's get, I don't think that, uh, I don't believe, I don't want to put words in your, either one of your mouth. Uh, we have to, we do need to have accountability, right? I mean, there is a, a balance, I guess. Is there something about that we um, either have considered or proposed that um, would make these a little more, I don't know, um, instructive about what's going on in the school, like the balance between, let's say, proficiency and growth? I mean, looking at growth only, or for example, what do you think? Um, at the public school forum, we've advocated for getting rid of the A to F grades altogether because of the extent to which they stigmatize schools and students and parents and teachers. Um, but there have been proposals in the General Assembly, for example, every year the House has put forth a proposal pretty much since these grades were implemented to change the formula to 50% growth and 50% proficiency, which while I don't know if it's a perfect policy, it's certainly better than the one that we have now. You think the, what, are, what about you, do you think the, uh, the idea of looking at growth, is that better? I think we ought to get rid of the A to F grades completely. Mm -hmm. Now, there are some benefits to providing information on the proficiency rates in school and the growth rates. If we want to continue providing that information, we could do it, but let's not combine it into a single grade which tends to send a signal that that is a measure of school quality when it's not. It's a pretty blunt instrument. I mean, because I think, I mean, I can talk, I was talking to my wife, and you can talk to, like, anyone. They, well, I wouldn't want to send my kid to an F school, and yet if you don't go in that school or you really know the story, this may be a wonderful learning environment that's perfectly suited for your child, but mm -hmm. you look at this big scarlet letter in some ways and it doesn't tell the story. And it, right. it has other disincentive effects as well. If you're a teacher, good teacher, are you going to want to teach in a school right. that year after year has an F rating? We want some of our good teachers to teach in those schools. Mm -hmm. So why are we saying those schools are failures? Let's let's do something to improve the school and to um, give the school the resources they need right. to address the real challenges that many low-income students bring to the classroom. Lauren, last question for you. Is, is the stigmatization, that's the right word, is that one of your biggest concerns about this? I think overall that is one of my biggest concerns. But another one, um, like Helen said, instead of giving schools resources that they need to, um, to support their students, a lot of additional policies have been based off of these grades. So that's another concern, that we're not only using them to stigmatize schools, we're also basing things like um, like recommendations for the innovative school district and um, principal bonuses, for example, off of these performance grades. All right. Well, we're going to continue the discussion in a minute. I'm going to ask you, uh, uh, Dr. Ladd, you're going to stick around. We're going to have, we've got a teacher and librarian from Durham Public Schools that's going to join us for the conversation. But after, uh, after a brief commercial break. But before we go to our break, let me, um, I've got a question for you. Um, the majority of, true or false, 
the majority of states use a letter grade system to grade school performance. Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Paragon Bank, serving others, enriching lives. Welcome back to Education Matters. Did you correctly answer false? In fact, North Carolina is one of only 16 states that are still using A to F school performance grades, and we're the only state that so heavily weights student performance over student growth. We're going to continue our conversation about school performance grades. As I mentioned, uh, Dr. Uh, Helen Sunny Ladd uh, from uh, Duke University is going to stay with us, but welcoming uh, and joining us now is Michelle Burton. Michelle is a teacher and librarian in Durham Public Schools. She's also currently serving as the president of the Durham Association of Educators. So you've got a good uh, kind of a good window in, in sort of what's going on in the schools. And I should also mention you've also worked in, a, in uh, what, three different school districts. So yes. that's actually my first question for you. You've been been in three different systems as a teacher, as a librarian, you these letter grades, do they accurately reflect the, what you've seen as far as the job that you, your colleagues, the teachers are doing in those schools? Absolutely not. Um, I have worked in so-called A-letter schools, high-performing schools, and schools that have been struggling. And what I have seen throughout my career is that teachers who work in schools that are struggling they work hard every day to give the kids what they need and they give it their all every single day so no they don't reflect what um, what's actually going on now is this I mean this system was came in implementation while you know as you were already mm -hmm. working as a teacher mm -hmm. I mean is this something that's um, discussed inside the school I mean do we talked about in the first segment about the stigmatization mm -hmm. I mean do teachers talk about it do you do you is it, is it something you go this F on our school or our D, is it something that parents or students aware of it? Actually, um, teachers aren't, don't really talk about it that much. Um, and also, our students don't talk about it much. Only when other adults in their lives speak about it, like parents or people in the community, you really hear it from parents because they look at the letter grades online and they make all these assumptions about how good the school is, how good the teachers are. And, you know, it really stigmatizes all the great work that's going on, the people, the kids, everything, the principals. So, yeah, um, you really don't hear You just hear it from people in the community, mostly parents. Right. Dr. Ladd, we, we kind of got into it just a little bit in the first thing. One thing that always, it always, I have a hard time sometimes talking about this correlation with poverty because I don't ever want to give the impression that, um, um, that it's the kid's fault or even it's the parent's fault that it's somebody's fault or that they couldn't do the work. You kind of mentioned some of the things that are sort of in, in the environment of, of a family living in poverty that actually sort of do affect, let's, you know, it's called readiness to learn. And there are lots of things that affect that. Think about dental care. The kids come and to school and haven't had uh, any attention to their teeth and they have toothaches if they are hungry. Think about that. Um, we do try to provide food in most of our schools, mm -hmm. lunchtime and breakfast, um, but that's essential. A lot of children aren't getting good food at home or sufficient food during the week or and, and also very much on the weekends. Health care more generally is a big issue. S stress at home for many parents who have 
multiple jobs and are trying to uh, get home to be with their kids. It's just difficult for schools to do it all. So schools, a lot of schools are, and I would agree mm -hmm. with you that teachers are doing a good job, but they can't do it alone. There's no way they can do it alone. Mm -hmm. If every child grew up in a middle class, two-parent household, mm -hmm. you would be saying education works very well in this country. <laughs> yeah. But that's not the case. More than half the students in North Carolina come from families with um, income yeah, I think I saw that in one of your articles. As it was, I think at least a lot, this may be a couple years old now. Fifty-three percent of students in North Carolina are living in poverty, which is above the national average. Michelle, look, you see it, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, every day. You know, I teach at a school in Durham where we have kids who live in four hundred thousand dollar homes, and we have children who live in housing developments. And you can clearly see that those children who come from middle class, upper middle class homes that their parents can provide for them and that those children who don't come from those homes, the schools have to fill in those gaps. And you can see where those children need extra supports in order to make them successful. That's why this letter grade system is so detrimental um, because it's not really showing all the great things that we're doing for those children who may not get those extra supports at home. Well, let's talk and just Go ahead. pick up mm -hmm. on that. Mm -hmm. So I always wonder what the purpose of the letter grades mm -hmm. are. Now, if the state gave letter grades to schools and then used them as a way mm -hmm. to distribute lots of additional resources mm -hmm. and um, to the schools that, that weren't doing sense, well, it? then yeah. it might make some sense. <laughs> yeah. But there's no way that the letter grades by themselves, mm -hmm. through some sort of incentive process that I've never understood, is going to make those schools, mm -hmm. um, make the students in those mm -hmm. schools perform a lot better because the teachers need support. Need schools support. can't do it alone when yeah. you've got well, a lot of students Well, that's a good segue because, look, I always like to, on this show, I want to talk about solutions. And there are some interventions, um, mm -hmm. and there are some things going on in Durham that I want you to tell me about, but also start with you, Dr. Lack. What are some interventions that do have sort of been proven to work in, yeah. with, with student populations like this? Yeah. Well, there are lots of them, mm -hmm. and lots of combinations of them. Um, so there's no magic bullet that's going to mm -hmm. solve all the problems. But health clinics in a number of schools would make a lot of sense, mm -hmm. and if not health clinics, at least having psychologists and nurses in schools. We have in this state many fewer nurses or psychologists per student than um, national recommendations right. or the national average. So trying to address health issues would be one way to go. Uh, another way to go is, or to supplement that, to have after-school programs for kids, summer school programs um, for kids, to give kids from disadvantaged backgrounds, some of the same experiences that children from more advantaged families just Well, and that's one of the things, you I'm sure you probably see that, Michelle, because uh -huh. like, that, that, those after school and some uh -huh. were, like, some of those are, those, those cost uh -huh. and, 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 yeah. the, and transportation, other yes. things. So is that something that you, that, that Durham Public Schools has tried to sort of fill the gap? Well, yeah, and I wanted to mention, um, I know you said in my introduction, I'm the president of the Durham Association of Educators, and one thing that we did was we got a grant from um, NEA, National Educators Association, to start the community schools program in Durham. And what we have done is that provided us with 
a community schools organizer and we were able to get four community schools um, people at four different schools in Durham to okay. provide wraparound services and just to say that one of the schools, um, Lakewood Elementary, that's where one of the community schools um, coordinators went to and that was one of the schools that was originally on the innovative school district list to be taken over and since we started that, since that person is there, that the school achievement has gone up drastically okay. and because those children, the community schools coordinator is helping the parents and the students get the resources they need in order for them to be successful. Is this like a school social worker or a combo of just like whatever is needed uh, look, looking at the school and what it needs and sort of connecting the teachers and the parents? How right, right. Well, they're not exactly a school social worker, but they help in conjunction with the school guidance counselor, the social worker, and the school administration in order to get resources into the schools and to be a connection with the community so those parents and those kids we can find they can find things that the children need you know dental services if they need clothing if the parents need um, money to help pay the rent things like that because you can't do it you can't do it by yourselves. The social workers, the school guidance counselor, the principal, they can't do it by themselves. Right. So you have to have that extra resource there and it's really, it's, it's really taken off. Well, this, you mentioned uh, to me before we started shooting uh, about uh, East Durham Children's mm -hmm. Initiative. So, so external partners are important too, right? Yes, no, that's right. That's a place-based initiative. So it historically has dealt with one section of Durham. I think they're expanding now to larger parts of Durham, but then the notion is you need to get a number of community partners working mm -hmm. together, so I want to focus on the term community. Mm -hmm. If schools can't do it alone, what do you need? Mm -hmm. You need lots of community partners, and there are partners out there, but what happens in the Durham Children's Initiative is they work hard to bring some mm -hmm. of those partners together, whether they're libraries, whether it's the police, whether it's park services, right. all sorts, to work together. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time, but, what, but it's, it does sound to me we're talking about there are just, we need more resources mm -hmm. and support for these schools, but with those, we see good results. So, yes. Sonny, Michelle, thank you for being here thank with you. us. After the break, this week's final word. What would you think if state legislators created a new A to F school grading system based solely on poverty and just gave A's and B's to the schools that serve the fewest poor students while tagging the schools that serve the most poor students with D's and F's? Now I'm guessing most of you would think that's a terrible idea, but that is precisely what our current A to F school performance grading system does. Now when this letter grade system was created by the North Carolina General Assembly, it was copied from former Florida Governor Jeb Bush who said it was perhaps the single most important thing they did in Florida to cause the public to demand more options like private school vouchers and charter schools. Now, when it was created here in North Carolina, legislative leaders told us it was to provide more information for parents. Really. Besides poverty, what does it tell parents? 
Moreover, as you heard some of our guests mention, no new resources or support have been provided for schools who rate as Ds or Fs. In fact, the division at the Department of Public Instruction that used to provide direct support to struggling schools was gutted and the employees were all laid off. So we're really not providing useful information to parents and we're not using the data to target support for struggling schools. At least Jeb Bush was honest about the intent. It's time to get rid of this stigmatizing and counterproductive school grading system. That's it for this week's show. Thanks for watching and we'll see you next week.